Hello and welcome to Alpha Pod Fight, the podcast where every episode I'm joined by a guest and we talk about a single issue of the comic Alpha Flight, or in this case, two issues of Immortal Hulk. I'm joined by Matt. Matt, could you introduce yourself to people who don't know who you are? Uh, hi, I'm Matt Finch. Uh, I travel the world helping people have good ideas and make them happen, I suppose. I'm like a sort of weird consultant and I make immersive role plays and I'm a bit obsessed with comics and somewhere those things all coincide. And we reconnected after knowing each other in our 20s at a comics conference, at the Electra Comics Conference yeah, at yeah. the University of Hertfordshire, something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah somewhere and that London. was the, the Alan Moore thing, yeah, his, his right. digital platform for comics. Yeah, yeah, the Moore clan turning out in force. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got loads of funding to make this platform. Uh, and then as part of the funding, they had to do the event. Yeah. And then once they'd done the event, it's just like <laughs> we'll switch that off pretty much but everyone who was anyone in the UK comic scene was there including a glorious moment where uh, you gave a lift to Paul Gravette yeah. the man at the crossroads of UK comics which meant that I had to sit with a child seat in my lap that was good I drove you to the train station while well, you talked about Argentinian comics that I'd never heard of um, in my favourite 500 and then when I saw Paul again about six months later I went oh Paul it's really nice to see you again we met that th-. and he went oh yeah, yeah yeah I remember I remember and then walked off shocking uh, and he never recognises me I've seen him like four or five times since then if, if you'd only used a pine scented air freshener in the car it would have been a wholly <laughs> different have just like sprayed him in pine <laughs> remember me um, yeah so uh, although one thought bubble what's well, I said one 2016 that's the one I was at he sort of walked past my table, had a look at 683, one of my previous comics, and went, I shouldn't really tell you this, but I know what the good stuff is. Tapped his nose and walked off, and then never said anything about it ever again. So I've, I've seen him selling it outside, in his jacket pockets, <laughs> at street corners, the good stuff. <laughs> um, right, but we're not here to talk about Paul Grover. That's a separate podcast, The Man at the Crossroads. Um, Crossroads, Matt. Yes, so, that's, if, if he was subjected to gamma radiation, he'd develop some kind of strange comic book <laughs> networking power. Crosspod man. I like it. Yeah. We might work on the name, but the concept is there. Uh, well, I'm famously good at naming podcasts, <laughs> so yeah. Um, okay, so we are here to talk today about Immortal Hulk numbers four and five, mm-hmm. which I've got in trade, and they sound like that when I flip them. Nice. Um, and the reason that we're talking about them is because of they've got a major Sasquatch development. Yes. Um, so what I'm going to ask you to do is summarise what happens in them. I realise it's two. We're doing two issues instead of one because it's essentially that's really, where the yes, story absolutely. is. In those it's two. one chunk, isn't it? Yeah. So I'll I'll be brief and we'll go from there. But the the Hulk series as a whole, uh, Immortal Hulk, uh, written by Al Ewing. Actually, the artist is I on should have front said, cover. Normally I say, Joe. so it was uh, written by Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, oh god, I'm, Joe yeah, Bennett nice was the penciler and uh, Rui Jose was the inker, with colours by Paul Mounts and VCs Corey Petit and Travis Lanham, no Travis Lanham didn't do this one, they did the letters, nice. and there's a whole bunch of editors, more than you'd get in the old comics we normally do. So we won't worry about that. Well, this this new Hulk series mm-hmm. uh, has the premise that it's very much more of a horror comic. Um, Bruce Banner is sort of living anonymously and wandering across the United States. No one realizes that he's been resurrected since the last time he died in a big event. And every time he dies, the Hulk resurrects at nightfall and goes around rampaging. 
and there's this kind of psychological war going on, the latest version of the Hulk psychological war, which is where a kind of uh, a slightly more down-to-earth Bruce Banner, who's no longer capable of doing mm. mad technology and building force fields and stuff like that, yeah. is at war with this actually very intelligent but slightly creepy, vengeful Hulk. Yeah, so, uh, and the word that keeps on coming up in discussions about it is magical thinking. So right. Hulk is cleverer because he's more in touch with the universe. And so the, the highbrow intelligence of Banner has been replaced with this sort of mystical intelligence of the Hulk. Yeah, and it, later on it gets into Kabbalah and all kinds mm. of strange sort of like mythological crossovers. But in the, the issues we're looking at in particular, there's an encounter with Sasquatch. And uh, the way this happens is that there's a, uh, there's a journalist called Jackie McGee who is trying to track the Hulk down. Um, basically, her family home was destroyed in a Hulk rampage. And at first you think she wants to confront him because of that, but actually she would quite like to have the Hulk's capacity for rage and that power. Um, and then Sasquatch reaches out to her because uh, he's become afraid to turn into his bestial form. So they meet up, they go to track down the Hulk. Sasquatch gives her some backstory where he talks about the idea that because he was such a well-adjusted, laid-back jock, <laughs> that he subjected himself to gamma radiation because he would be the Canadian Hulk who would be able to protect Canada from the Hulk's rampages, but would also stay in control of his powers. Yeah. He gives a bit of a recap of his life with uh, Alpha Flight. Mm -hmm. But then when they actually uh, get closer to the Hulk's trail, clearly there's something slightly wrong with Sasquatch. His mere presence in a bar triggers off a knife fight with some thugs who just become incredibly angry in his presence. Uh, and he's actually stabbed, goes to hospital, dies on the operating table. Um, Banner then turns up at the hospital Sasquatch comes back to life after death, much like the Hulk does in this new series, but he's been possessed by this strange creature that may or may not be uh, Brian Banner, Hulk's dad, who I, I keep wanting to refer to as Brian Blessed, which is kind of awkward. But, um, but he looks like Howard Hughes. Yes, and Howard Stark. Yes. And just to really every, confuse the pencil moustache, Howard, yeah. yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed, for me, as someone who'd grown up as sort of an 80s child of Alpha Fly being a backup comic in Marvel mm. UK, I liked this connection and that led me to dig down a bit into the sort of Hulk Alpha Fly overlaps. Um, Hulk and Sasquatch end up having a big fight uh, and Hulk realises that what's going on is not actually just that his, uh, his sort of Canadian counterpart has gone a bit adrift, but there's this possession going on which leads into a deeper story where they go to hell, of all things. Um, but for me it was really nice to see that reconnection with Alpha Flight and then Alpha Flight come into the series again later on as a kind of Hulk hunting task force. Mm. Of course they get renamed Gamma Flight because why not reuse every possible label in comics land. Um, I think that's one that they... It existed when... already, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 of course. And they're the baddies. Yeah, so yeah. this time they're like, hey, we're hunting Hulk, so let's call ourselves Gamma Flight yet again. Okay. Um, and there's that nice thing that happens in comics where there's this reshuffle and so Puck and Shaman um, and maybe a couple of others, even though Alpha Flight is now like a space-based agency defending the Earth and it's not With Captain to Marvel anymore. as their boss. Yeah, yeah. Um, they get sent to hunt Hulk and go to hell. And I thought that was really weird initially, but then we've probably both worked in organisations where like, why does that division exist? Well, they used to be this, but then they got merged with them and then yeah. Steve was doing the same job as Helen, but they decided they needed both of them. So the idea that for some reason a bunch of Canadians are defending the Earth from space and then they're sent to hunt Hulk obviously makes sense yeah I've never so we've covered Alpha Flight in space a little bit we've mm -hmm. done Captain Marvel oh me and Bill did Captain Marvel oh bless um, he didn't like it very much it's fine it's not right um, and so yeah but I'm not sure how Carol Danvers who isn't Canadian became the boss of 
yeah. the Canadian military well, it's superheroes. No longer, it's it's like supposed to be that they smushed together Sword, the agency that Abigail Brand worked for. Yes. And the, and for some reason, sure. Now that's the space agency. Yeah. Um, basically. And they all, yeah. So uh, and what gets detailed in these two? We won't talk about the hell stuff because I've not read that. No, no, so of I course. just listen to you talk. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can we can. People are supposed to be listening yeah. to us. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so we find out that Sasquatch, um, spe- uh, in a flashback talking to Captain Marvel, in what essentially, like, she calls it an intervention, but it's a career review. Yeah. She says, you spent a year as Big Furry, right. but not Walter Langowski. Yeah. What's going on? And then when he goes to transform himself back into Walter, he has a really hard time of it, and then he comes back to Earth to find out what's going on. Um, in the comic, he gives a rundown of how. So yeah, so what I like about it is that it sort of reframes Walter, because he's always been a sort of a likable jock. Mm-hmm. There's always been, it, you know, he's a jock. He used to be a football player, and he's super rich, and uh, he was a nuclear, uh, sorry, a gamma physicist. That's right. Um, but there's always something likable about him, despite yeah. all of that. Um, and then they reframe that as just Banner hating him. So them spending a term as roommates. Yeah, at Penn State. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, just like, and there's a scene where Bruce Banner shouts like, "You've got football. This is my thing. Right. Leave me alone." But they're friendly. And, oh, this. Okay. So one thing I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. because you might have more knowledge about it than I do. Let's see how we go. Um, is that. Walter Langowski, when he's at university, is constantly referring to Thoreau. Right. What's that all about? <laughs> well, so, I don't know. So I had to Google Thoreau. Mm, right. Uh, and I've read, I spent five minutes reading Wikipedia about him. I skipped the life part. Yeah, you're doing better than me, but go on. <laughs> So, as far as I can tell, Thoreau was uh, anti establishment, mm-hmm. pro environment, mm-hmm. and. Pro nature. I think it's yeah. the anti-establishment thing that might be the most important well, part. Also, the fact that he was kind of super privileged, and when he seemed to go off and live in the wilds, mm. he was actually like getting someone to do his washing for him and stuff like <laughs> right. that. And there was an element of fraudulence. Like he was pretty genuine, yeah. but also it wasn't quite like he went off to be the wild man. Yeah. And I thought maybe there's something like that about Walter that, in some ways, he's this creature of privilege, mm. and that doesn't undermine who he is as being an essentially good person yeah. but it complicates it in a way that maybe he wasn't originally complicated in Alpha Flight yeah okay that makes sense actually yeah um, because he mentions it he keeps quoting it at Banner yeah. and it's also I think it's a it's there to sort of as him to show Banner he's clever because right. he's read one yeah, writer yeah. right I'm, a uh, I'm, a book. I'm yeah. very guilty of that <laughs> like oh yeah well you know Pynchon he says this nice. in Gravity's Rainbow because I've read that one and a half times so yes. I'm the expert <laughs> and need to tell everyone um, so yeah there's that side and also when they're at university I can't find it out because it sort of flips back and forward yeah what is interesting though is that you did the summary hmm. of two issues and a bit extra sure very short okay whereas normally it's a summary of an alpha flight issue even the the slightly later ones yeah takes ages because there's the main story there's a b plot there's a c plot people are having relationships with each other uh like there might be one or two bubbles that you've got doing a podcast like this right you've got to explain why uh 
Aurora may have said something nasty to North Star. Sure. You've got to say, well, three issues ago, North Star said she was a slut. Uh, and so this is her coming back at him from there. Right. And you've got, whereas this just like races straight through. There's none yeah. of that. And I think part of it is like decompression of comics. Sure. Um, and part of it is just like there's three characters yeah. in this comic. It, it definitely one of the things that I guess I, I missed about coming at Alpha Flight through this particular book is I really like the dynamics of a team book mm. and I like if you if you read team books historically you can feel how like the 70s defenders gives way to like the early 80s outsiders and then you get to Justice League International and it feels like superhero comics got a lot more confident about having um, characters with very rough edges mm. and who were kind of irregular and a bit more human and you can really feel how like the 70s ones they, they want to do it but it's still very like defeat the villain of the week yeah and then this is ultimately it's kind of like the Bill Bixby TV show is that he's wandering around mm. hulking out each week and I think it's a really really good comic if I had a, a question mark hanging over any part of it is later on you get a bit like which gamma powered being are they meeting this week because they do do them one by one right so in the um, re, I've read this in trade I've read the first two trades and the first trade the first three issues is I don't know who they are. They're, like, they're, they're obviously like characters from previous yeah they Hulk comics who have been gammered. Yeah, and I don't know who they are. I There's... mean, they're interesting in the comic, but I don't know their history. Yeah, um, and then Absorbing Man turns up, but he gets gamma added as a power. yeah he gets temporarily supercharged. So the baddies in this are basically going around gammering everything possible. Like, what happens if we gamma a milkshake and give it to the Hulk? <laughs> okay, that's that's not helpful. Like, I mean, usually the payoff is this will cause the Hulk trouble. No, it won't. Yeah. Like, in yeah. that kind of... Something about this character is essentially, like, always a little bit 12-year-old boy or maybe even 8-year-old boy. Like, you know, ah, the gamma-powered milkshake will cause him trouble. The Hulk's like, it only makes me stronger. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's, a lovely, uh, there's a lovely issue where he gets chopped up into independent pieces yes. and put in jars yeah, yeah. and then at some point they go oh my god this is just what he wanted us to do <laughs> yeah. and that's that's really like peak that kind but of ludicrous yeah. wonderful comic and I was also talking about the, about the intelligence of this new immortal Hulk yes. and his cleverness that um, he's thinking at not a higher level necessarily but a level enough to the side that people can't intuit what he's going to do next yeah nicely said um, and he so it's actually played less to in these two issues where he so Banner turns up because he can sort of smell Sasquatch basically he can smell his gamma trail so he turns up for no real reason no he's sitting in the hospital but he goes to the hospital to find him yes like there's a there's a sort of little bit of like we've we've written past that bit he's just sitting in the waiting room next to the journalist and he's obviously somehow sensed that something's going to happen yeah but yeah but what so up until this point, what he's been doing is he's been, as Bruce Banner, during the day he'll go and find out information about yep. the baddie, and yep. then at night he'll become Hulk, yes. and then go and absorb the baddie, or kill the baddie. So yes. Just be terrible Sur- to the baddie. Surprisingly, and quite satisfyingly, like, gruesome in a kind of 50s EC Comics, moral horror comics way, you know, yeah. I think the... F- the first or second baddie he encounters, he pulls his arms and legs off and buries him alive in a <laughs> yeah. cave. But he has, you know, like, killed his son with gamma radiation and been yeah, a monster. That's right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the Hulk is particularly vengeful in this one. Yeah. Um, and there's this all this stuff about killing and crossing a line. I don't read enough Hulk comics to know historically, but definitely it's played as if, you know, this time I've gone too far. Yeah, so, because I mean, Al Ewing is 
a great writer, in my opinion. Uh, and sort of what he's doing here is he's pulling together all the Hulk stuff together. Not just like the bit he likes, yeah. but all of it. So that whole part, um, 70s, uh, 80s, the Bill Bixby thing. Yeah. That's there because he's travelling from town to town being the Hulk and then moving on and he's sure. being chased down by uh, by whoever, the, yeah. the government. Um, and then he's got like the Hulk is a scary monster because in the, in the there's a thing at the, in the postword postword stuff. Nice afterword, yeah, yeah. afterword. I like postword. <laughs> he it's says he says like when he first encountered the Hulk in a comic, he was a monster. He was yeah, scary. Absolutely, he's and a Frankenstein-looking brings... character. Yeah. yeah, and then he's also like I think he likes Alpha Flight a lot, which yeah. is why they turn up and. Um, which is good for me. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I might not have read this if I hadn't been for everyone going, you'll never guess what happens to Sasquatch. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but he's rolling all this stuff up and then introduces the concept of the green door. Yes. Which is a way to explain uh, what, how the Hulk is. There's, the idea is that the original Gamma Bomb somehow opened this doorway mm -hmm. into a into like a mirror version of creation, like an underworld beneath our own. Yeah. Uh, and they, it, when it gets really heady and mystic, there's this bit like, you know, if there's no more God, what if God had a Hulk? What if God <laughs> had a shadow that was watching over us from this other world? Uh, they mention and, the shadow in this actually. Yeah. 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 So there's this there's this notion and this ongoing mystery that hasn't totally been unfolded even now, sort of further on into the series, yeah. that actually. Um, funnily enough, it's Puck from Alpha Flight who puts it really well. Like Gamma is the place where science flips over into being metaphor and fairy tale. Mm. And he he t he says to someone, it's like this radiation. But when people get exposed to it, they turn into these sort of metaphorical beings. Yeah. Um, and that somehow what's happening is this this uh, evil presence from another world mm. is is sort of working its way into ours through this green door. Yeah. And that well, because there's the uh, issue three in this trade yeah. of the series is when you see the same story but told from three different people's perspectives. Yes. So that's the same thing, isn't it? Like right. that mystical quality, that storytelling quality of Gamma. Yeah. But seen through by three different people. Yeah. Because um, there's the sort of Charles Byrne Indie-ish coffee shop guy. Yes. There's the grandma who sees everything as like a love story, yeah, a romance. romance comic, lovely. And then there's like the cop who sees everything as an action. Yes, and thinks the Hulk's an uncomplicated good guy. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the whole purpose of that, it's like three people telling the story of Hulk stopping a siege in a church, mm. a hotshot, like a super minor character who can shoot gamma rays <laughs> yeah. from his fingers. Um, you know, and the the old lady sees it as being the hotshot was just a kind of James Dean-like troubled delinquent and this terrible Hulk did something awful to him. Yeah. Uh, the coffee shop guy just hates Banner, hates the Hulk, hates well, that his life got messed it, up. He says he's a jerk because his yeah. car gets smashed. Right, yeah, the Hulk smashes his car. And the cop's like, this guy's an Avenger. He can do no wrong. He yeah. saved the day. And then you gradually realise, I think it's the priest who has a he has an interaction with the Hulk. And the Hulk's yeah. like, basically, I'm the devil. Like yeah. this version. And it suggests that he's the devil Hulk from the comics who was more reptilian, sort of aliens looking in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, and now he's being imagined as something that looks a bit more comforting and familiar, but it might actually be more dangerous to us. Yeah, because um, you see him and also Sasquatch as well in reflections. So... Right. The, their human counterpart will look at a reflection and see the monster looking back yeah. at them. And that happens with Sasquatch, and that's right. when you get the, the first sense that something's not right with him. Yeah. Because it, when he's in Alpha Flight, when he's written Alpha Flight, um, it gets progressively worse as the Captain Marvel run goes, right. is that he gets forgotten about. Right. To the point at one point, and I've, I'm sure I've complained about this on the podcast before, sure. I've certainly complained about it in real life a lot, <laughs> is that um, he complains that he's lifting geek stuff about. Right. And I was like, 
talking about? He's a gamma nuclear physicist. Right. He's not going to complain about geeks. Yep. Um, so that, that sense of him got lost. And literally, Ewing speaks to exactly that complaint because um, at the end of the two issues we're talking about, Sasquatch mm. is drained of his powers yeah. to the extent that Walter's like, I can't feel him for the first time since ever. That yeah. I've got no sense that he's in there at all. Yeah. And he says, what am I going to do? And uh, Captain Marvel says, well, you, you're still a gamma scientist. You're going to go and track down the Hulk. Yeah. Uh, and then the journalist who goes with them as a kind of embedded figure, mm. she's like, I don't know if you're a superhero or a secret agent, yeah. but whatever you are, I guess this is what you do now. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because it's literally, I guess, trying to redress some of that. But so much yeah. of comics is like that, isn't it? Rewriting what's just gone before. Yeah. And, I mean, Sasquatch, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but for a while during Bill Mantlo's run, he was a lady. I did not know that, actually. Um, so the actual process by which it became to be Wanda Langowski cool. is quite complicated. Um, but uh, he wasn't a female Walter. Right. He was a woman who would be Walter's idea of what a woman would be if she was him. Okay. And it never says that explicitly. Yeah. But so for a while he's Wanda Langowski and right. like hypersexualized. Um, when she's not, uh, she's so she's white Sasquatch. Right. Um, and when she's not Sasquatch, she's in a leotard and she's flirting with everybody. Right. Because that's sort because of like comics. <laughs> if, if Walter Langowski was a lady. Right. That's okay. We, but at the same time, she's also Snowbird. It's a bit. Sure. That, that's why she's white. It's, it's right. a bit complicated. Okay. But yeah. So and that doesn't really get discussed very often. Yeah. So they have this big change and like, oh look, she's a six foot tall Amazon lady who can turn into a Sasquatch and she's flirting with everybody. But we won't discuss the repercussions of that because right. we've got other stories to tell. And then when um, other writers come on, they're just like, "We're gonna just, right. we're gonna fix that really quick." Yeah, yeah. But, and I can't remember how they fixed it because it's so, so quick. I haven't read the issue, but it's one of the issues in between where I've read. So, I guess it's one of the challenges of comics is is a good writer knows when to actually stop and unpick even some really weird and woeful creative decisions. Sometimes yeah. there's actually loads of stuff to milk there, mm -hmm. and then other times it's like let's just pretend this never happened and move swiftly on. Yeah, and well, because at the end of Mantlo's run, um, there was a desire, pretty much across the whole world, to undo everything that he did. Because right. by the time he'd finished, they weren't. Alpha Flight anymore. Okay. The the only original member was Sasquatch and she was a lady. Yeah. And everybody else was different. So when James Hudnall came on, he was like, right, I'm gonna re rewind it. I'm gonna reinstate everything that was in like issue four. Right. Um and but he'd also been reading lots of Vertigo comics. So it was sort of Vertigo flavoured. There. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this is quite Swamp Thing flavoured, I think, this yeah, series. Yeah, there is, yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, because, and it's because of that horror element. Yeah. Because people get properly murdered. Yes, quite, quite gruesomely <laughs> A so. Lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and Sasquatch kills three people yeah. in this. And this is the thing that Walter really struggles with, isn't yeah. it? Because I think the, the Hulk says, like, Walter never had that in him. And that's one of the ways he knows that something's really wrong. Yeah, and we never... At least in these two issues, we don't find out what it is that's gone wrong. We yeah. just know that whatever the Sasquatch element, because at one point it was Tanarak, and he they they yeah, mentioned the gods that. of the north, or yeah, yeah. they mentioned that it, at one point it was Tanarak, but that's not it anymore. So whatever's going on with him isn't that. 
Yeah. And then that gets... Oh, and then in a reflection, again, we see that it's his dad reflected, yeah. not Sasquatch. And then he gets absorbed, and then that reflection part is the Hulk's reflection. Yeah. So they're... Yeah. Everyone so, swaps. <laughs> everyone swaps around, yeah. Um, so we never really find out who Sasquatch is. In that's, so we know who Walter Langowski is. Yeah. We get an idea of who he is and what he wants to be. Yeah. Because he's walking around trying to figure out yeah. how to get back to being superstar superhero. Yeah, and you don't quite know how much his personality has been contaminated by this weird possession because... Mm. Burnett like draws him in this incredibly evocative way where it's like yeah. it's so subtly smarmy that like from yeah. the get go you're like there's something well, wrong with this guy. He's got pointy sideburns as well. Always and he's always sign. got this big big like sort of he looks like saber tooth almost. Yeah. He's got that sort of animal look about him. Yeah. But at the same time he's really he's sort of lithe and skinny. The first time we see him he's wearing some sort of like collarless robe. Yeah. Um and yeah, he's got that sense about him that he and he's also got that overconfidence that he's like I'll go and fix this fight in the bar yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's how he gets into trouble because he just thinks I'm a superhero I don't need to right. Sasquatch out yeah, yeah. to I'm fix it I'm a space it. diplomat <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I, I wanted on. to ask you actually just after what you said about them all seeing you know seeing this dark reflection in mm. mirrors and this notion of the green door in the other world um, in the first issue uh, the, the narration that bookends it it says there are two people in every mirror the one you can see, and then the other one, the one you don't want to. Yeah. And it was making me think of Petrichor, actually. And, <laughs> right, okay. you know, the way that kind of the routine of daily life and leaning back against the window in meetings and yeah. stuff like that sits with sort of deeper and harder to manage feelings. And yeah. I wondered if there were lines you could draw between the Hulk and Petrichor. <laughs> well, now that he's... Uh... I don't know. Um, Tony Esmond, who from the Awesome Comics podcast and other things, uh, he said that like because we sort of know each other friend in a friendly way. And then he read that and he was like, and actually, lots of my friends who've read it since, like we hadn't realised that any of that was underneath. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm distracted by a woman doing something. Like that. Um, so uh, yeah, it's in, uh, hadn't figured that before. But because the line that follows through in this in the Hulk is uh, is he man is he monster is he both right, right? yeah so is the combination of the reflection and what's ref- and who is being reflected is that the, the whole or is one stronger than the other right um, so I suppose in Petricor, um it's like I suppose what I did in Petricor is show the mirror side the what's behind the mirror right yeah. so I wasn't talking too much about stuff I did when I wasn't sad yeah so I mean uh, let's have a think so in the first chapter which I've read more than the others because it's older <laughs> um, there is yeah there's that stuff about being in meetings and then about halfway through it's like this is why I'm sad. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> sorry. Well, well. I'll, every pause here, I'll, I'll discuss later. Explain later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then as it goes, but what it became after that was the next two chapters of it are like me intentionally like this is someone's happy, this is someone's sad, this yeah. someone's happy, it's sad, uh, and then it's like. Amy hadn't got why I was making the book. Yeah. So I was, and 
I, there's too much subtext to it even though I was like being like this is a definite statement about how I feel yeah the subtext of I am happy underneath the sadness yeah hadn't come through so I was just like flat out this is how I feel and then after that it's the the process of moving on from that and just thought of, it is actually yeah it was a full calendar year from end to end of just like this is where I am now yeah and uh, yeah so in regards of whether I don't know I think the rather than Petrichor describing like the man and the reflection is that the book is the mirror yeah so um, I am the person that people interact with every day and then the book is letting people understanding what's underneath that yeah I suppose and so yeah that's where that metaphor is I guess I'd not thought of it and hadn't been thinking of it but uh, yeah I think that's it yeah that makes sense uh, one of the things I thought about both books was yeah. that they were both kind of devices for trying to cope with the fact that we have um, sometimes monstrous and uncomfortable and impermissible feelings yeah um, and that that is partly a challenge yeah um, and it just like in one version that turns into pulling the arms off people rampaging around <laughs> yeah. and smashing buildings and cars and and thankfully you refused to indulge your your gamma related whims yeah um, and just did a bunch of drawing instead a quite a healthy yeah, yeah. experience yeah I think <laughs> probably um, yeah so and that's so if anybody hasn't read Petrichor it's available from the Good Comics website yeah um, Good Comics .co.uk I believe and it's £12 Excellent. without postage nice promo <laughs> um, yeah I mean I think it's if I, you know I get a bit tired of superhero comics actually this is the only one I subscribe to at mm. the moment but I think if they have a value it's because in their sort of melodrama sometimes they let us speak to to some of these issues that don't come up in daily life yeah uh, and particularly like in this in this whole comic at two points in the whole series like uh, his heart is pulled out of him. Yeah. Um, once it's pulled out of him and cut in two, literally, and yeah. then in another case it's just ripped from his chest. But there's a there's this Solzhenitsyn line about wouldn't it be easy if we were the good people over here and they were the bad people over here? Mm. But the line between good and bad goes through your own heart, and who's going to cut out a piece of his own heart? Yeah. And there's something about being able to tap into uncomfortable feelings in the space of a comic. Yeah. That I guess it's one of the reasons why I like the medium so much. Yeah. I, yeah, so I mean, I, other than comics that I make or comics by people I know, I tend to only really read superhero comics mm -hmm. at the moment um, because of Alpha Flight. Um, so some of it's just like tortuous research that I don't necessarily enjoy. Uh, and other times I just get really into it. Um, what else do I read? So for a while I read loads of um, Marvel 2 and 1, so the thing just turning up and having a chat. Yep. Uh, a fight, sorry. And then I was just thinking, there's one episode where him and Sandman just sit down and have a beer. Nice. And Sandman's like, I'm not sure I really fancy being a baddie anymore. Do you think I could change? And things like, yeah, of course you can. Oh, just have cool. a beer and then just like make a change. Heartwarming. Yeah, it's nice. It's a good issue. Yeah. Um, but that's the similar thing. Like, because they've set up who are the goodies and who are the baddies, they yeah. can have a conversation about where the middle of yeah. that is. And two in one is almost the same format as Alpha Pod as you, you team up with a random <laughs> have I, a fight <laughs> I particularly like the issue where you join forces with your own son against Captain Marvel <laughs> uh, yeah uh, Martha wants to do another one oh she <laughs> Martha wants to do an episode about LOL dolls okay so the same format of Alpha Flight 
but with LOL dolls. I think you've got to do that. Yeah, we will. Uh, yeah. Uh, other issue, I don't know if you heard the one that I did with Bill about... Uh, it's the first Alpha Flight... Uh, sorry, it's an issue of Alpha Flight with Big Hero 6 introduced. No, but I can imagine that being perfect for a kid. You'd think so. Oh, no. But he played Fortnite the entire time. Wow. So I was trying... So he'd read it, but was not interested at all. So the episode is me telling him... Nice. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so, but we were talking about superhero comics and reading them. So what else have I read recently? Um, oh, <laughs> I've just suddenly got obsessed with Amalgam comics. Oh, from the 90s. <laughs> yeah. They were amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked those. Um, uh, I picked up a big stack of them at the Comic Mart on Sunday. Yeah. So um, I'll be going through them. Uh, and I like those because they're superhero comics without the baggage of superhero yeah. comics. They can just like, what was fun about comics? And we'll take the fun bits of... My favourite one is... Um, it's not Bat Thing, it's Man... It's a combination it's a of Swamp Thing. Okay. No, Man Thing and Man Bat. Amazing. I completely <laughs> missed that one, but that's pretty good. Because that was... Uh, I think it was second... Like, they did one set and then they did another set. And yeah, so it's... Yeah. Um, man Bat... Because they've got similar backstories and they're both scientists. Okay, who got deformed who by, got deformed by or, their yeah, experiments. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so this one is a, a flying bat whose touch causes... That actually kind of works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good. Okay. Um, but it's like, what are the fun things about Man-Thing? What right. are the fun things about Man-Bat? Yeah. And just smash them up and then see what happens. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just reading Ray Bradbury's essay about writing, and he talks about just doing everything with gusto. Yeah. Where he's just like, I write down a bunch of words, and then I look at a word like just pedestrian, and I'm like, right, this guy where pedestrianism is a crime. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you can see how Ray Bradbury just like sits and in two yeah. hours knocks out a short story. Yeah. But that's almost like a comic book issue. And there's something about that zest and that verve. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's also the I don't know like there's there's a spectrum and I like both ends of it the whole comic can get a bit like we are quoting a lot of Kabbalah here yeah like a bit heavy going and a bit like you want to know all that sort of backstory yeah and it's quite fun sometimes plunging into that fictional history mm. but other times you just want the sheer delight and verb of it and yeah I was talking to Phil about this in the last episode but that's why I started the podcast because and I keep I started the podcast talking about Bill Mantlow's run on Alpha Flight, which had that gusto. Right. Like, he had some ideas when he took on the book, and he got to explore some of them, and he did horror stuff. Yeah. So in the in the previous episode, he talked about uh, Mr. Jeffrey's brother, Scramble, whose power was to transmute meat. Oh, I love it. And so in he he went insane because he... Th- he went insane because he thought he could bring in the in Vietnam. He thought he could bring soldiers back to life by right. recombining the pieces. I get it. Um, this is actually a good idea for a horror character. Yeah, and then he decided that he would become the supreme being right. by absorbing Roger Box, who is yep. the, the Box mm-hmm. character. He absorbed him, and became a new character called Omega whose purpose was to absorb everything. Oh, that's where that character came from, right. Yeah. I have just enough of a passing knowledge, <laughs> but I did not know that deeply elaborate backstory. Yeah, yeah. So there's that side of it, and he does all this stuff with... Um, he invents a character called Pestilence, who's like... We, who we haven't actually talked explicitly about on the podcast, but he was like a uh, Victorian explorer person who got buried in the ice, yeah. but was immortal and came back, and was just like, did some really horrible things to Alpha Flight. Right. Um, 
once in a cave and once in at the North Pole. Okay. Um, and so yeah, he had strong ideas. And then once those I want to do these things had run out, every episode, every issue was just like, shit, I've got to meet the deadline. Let's something happen. But not in a like a I'll do an issue where they sit down and have a cup of coffee and discuss discuss what's happened. Right. It's, they will fight the Canadian army. They will go into space. Right. They will meet a new character who is half six-year-old autistic girl, half horrific monster. Uh, and they exist on different sides of dimensions. Okay. So whenever Laura... This is the camp, uh, character Goblin who we've not discussed yet. Right. But um, so there's a six-year-old autistic girl called Laura. Whenever she gets scared, she's replaced by this ferocious, horrible alien called Goblin. Right. Um, who again isn't scared to just brutalise people. Okay. Until it's safe, and then she will. They'll right. swap again. So, but he was just doing this stuff until it got to the point where, and in an interview on AlphaFlight.net, James Hudnell says, "When I took over, Mantlo had exhausted every idea he had available." Right. Um, to the point where Mannequin becomes self-aware. In in Mantlo's last issue, right. uh, which I hope to talk about eventually, um, Mannequin, who's a character, I don't know if you're aware of Mannequin. I don't really know Mannequin, I have to say. <laughs> so Mannequin was uh, Scramble's assistant, right. who had a latent mutant power, which okay. was released by Scramble by accident, which was that he could um, call forth evolutionary selves. So his evolutionary future self, okay. Highbrow, who could teleport and right. was really good at sums. Yep, good combination. Then of his <laughs> then a caveman version of himself, and a protoplasmic blob version <laughs> of himself. Amazing. And they would come, and then he was the prime unit, so he would have to inform their actions. But right. they're also characters in their own right. Yep, got it. Like an altered states superhero. Right. Yeah, and then so because of that weakness between like realities, yes. he was able to become self-aware. Gotcha. And then accuse Mantlo like outright of oh. you just been doing horrible things to us. You're a bad person. Right. And then this brilliant panel of just Bill Mantlo sat in his office like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, you know you've thrown everything but the kitchen sink <laughs> yeah. in comics when you when you get back to that kind of like Morrison Animal Man moment yeah. of like looking at the writer. Yeah. Do you, do you think? Alpha Flight ends up being used as this kind of receptacle for sort of mad ideas and somehow because it of did. because of this marginal because it's Canadian and mm. it's kind of in a the the B rank at best of those kind of comics teams. Yeah. Um it seems to have like this capacity to do really very eccentric stuff even by comic standards. Yeah, I think it did and that's when I got really into it. Uh, and Byrne was doing that as well. Yeah. So when he did uh White Out, he's just like I'll do these three white pages because yep. I can. Um, and uh, and just also how he approached creating characters. So who isn't represented? I'll represent them. It's just like some. It was a place where you could do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and that. But what happened as the runs went? It became less of that crazy team and yeah. more of a let's put super. Let's make it a superhero book. Right. Because um, famously. Burns first 11 issues were a superhero team where they didn't talk to each other right they were disbanded in issue 1 and then just yeah. you saw them individually uh, or they were never the, the first time they came together as a team yeah. was to watch Guardian blow up basically amazing um, and so yeah it's an interesting concept because they're, they're always called the weird team yeah because uh, uh, but um, Phil made the point that they never really had a big baddie yes 
one of the things I love in the Hulk comic is they give um, Puck later on this really poetic line where yeah. he's like, I fought Queens of Dreams and the world's secret master. Yeah. I fought demons in hell and stolen their thrones and their thrones haven't bound me. <laughs> and I'm like, the world's secret master is a very generous way of describing the master, master of the, the world. world. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You make yeah. him sound a lot more impressive than he actually <laughs> ever was. Um, yeah, so, and because I haven't, because Puck's also got a line that I've seen on Twitter but haven't read yet where he says my name's Puck sometimes it's Shakespearean sometimes it's because I'm a hockey puck and I'm like that seems like you've quoted me <laughs> nice. like it, that's my line it was quite a right <laughs> line wasn't it but it's, it's interesting isn't it also that notion of the villain defining the heroes mm. it's, it's just happened in the in the TV Doom Patrol strangely enough where it's the same thing a bunch of um, people in unusual circumstances with weird powers who really don't get on mm. and actually it's more the villain trying to sort of create a force of opposition almost yeah. wanting to pull them into being Yeah. and the funny thing is like now talking and you say I'm saying oh that sounds like a terrible way to start a comic like it's almost like the anti way to attract people Yeah. except the first comic I, I read apart from sort of little kid comics but mm. the first 2000 AD I ever picked up that was like in 1990 or something mm. was in the middle of when Judge Dredd wasn't Dredd he was yeah. his own evil clone exactly Kraken same, he was yeah. possessed and I was talking to, to Neil Cameron the, the comics yeah, writer yeah. who does Mega Robo Bros and I was saying it's weird that I ever got into comics really and he said no no for a certain kind of kid that's exactly what yeah. they want is yeah. they turn up in the middle of this huge operatic story yeah well because I, I was I, uh, my first issue to D was the same thing so Kraken had just killed Judge Anderson like she wasn't dead but yeah. as you assumed she was um, in the same issue Johnny Alpha had had I didn't know who Johnny Alpha was yep. but I knew that he'd had his eyes poked out and he was dying yep um, Harlem Heroes were halfway through some sort of mission. Medivac 313 was its first issue. Oh, I liked but, that, yeah. But weirdly, that, that's one I cared about the least. Okay. It's his first issue, and I was like, uh, I, I don't remember it. Yeah. Even though I've read it a lot because I did a whole redrawing of it, I've not really paid a lot of attention to it. And then um, Rogue Trooper was halfway through War Machine, like the Dave Gibbons scripted sure. Will Simpson thing. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't make a lot of sense. It's quite spooky and it's painted, isn't it? Isn't it? You've yeah. got like this yeah, very really eerie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but yeah, it's that same thing. Like I, I knew that Judge Dredd was like my favourite character now. Right. But I didn't really factor in that it wasn't Judge Dredd. It was his evil. Yeah. And yeah, it's that same thing of going in the middle. Yeah. And then trying to work out the edges. Whereas, uh, and you say for a certain type of kid, whereas Bill, <laughs> um, I gave him a copy of X Force. Because yeah. he wanted to read because I had Juggernaut on the cover, and I had right. I'd, I'd had a double of X Force number whatever it was. Right. Uh, and he read it and he was like, "That's good. I'd like to read some more X Force." I was like, "Okay, haven't got a full run. I've got one, and I've got three to, through till nine, and then I've got some others, and I've got nineteen through to fifty-four. He's like, uh, "I'll read it when you've got two, and there's other." F and I was like, "No, but that's <laughs> a lot of effort to go to." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll come back." So he, he's the sort of person that just like wants to read it from the start yeah. through to the end. He's not. He doesn't want to come in in the middle. Yeah. So yeah. It's and Amy's like that as well. So Amy's been on the podcast a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but she, I've given her. So I gave her the issue where Walter turns into Wanda. Yeah. I gave her an issue of Rom where they fight a flood. Oh, wonderful. And um, 
Yes, you needed more information to understand what was happening. Whereas I was perfectly happy that I didn't know who Ron was, but he had some sort of gun and didn't do anything against floods. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that yeah. sums up the character quite well. Let's just check where we are for time. Oh, that's all right. This also seems like a good moment to say we're recording this in the uh, the lakeside area out the front of the Barbican Arts yeah. Centre, which looks a bit like. It's like where the rich people would end up in a 70s dystopia. It's yeah. like, you know, in Logan's Run. Yeah, Ballard-esque is yeah. what it often gets described as. Yeah. You, you'd know you'd made Ballardian. it in the... Ballardian? We could take either. Yeah, carry on. Um, but no, just that idea that after the apocalypse, you'd know you were doing all right if you were in this kind of like 70s, <laughs> yeah. concrete But also, while we were just talking, I went quiet for a couple of moments because a lady turned up and started dropping photographs into the water and then she was filming herself doing hand movements in front of the water. Yes. And while she was doing that, she got attacked by a bird. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just what was happening. We were surprisingly composed in our discussion <laughs> of very important Marvel comics during that entire interlude. Uh, right. Um, okay, so, let back to the uh, Immortal Hulk. Yes. What did you really... Was there anything that you didn't like about it? We talked quite a lot about what we do like. Was there anything that you didn't like? And these particular issues, it was actually really nice for me because as, as someone who isn't a great reader of superhero comics and really hadn't touched on Alpha Flight since the 80s or even mm. as a kid, it was like being reacquainted with an old friend mm. of like, oh yeah, that's what Sasquatch is up to. Okay, he's a little bit evil now. Is he evil? No, wait, there's a... So yeah. I quite liked that feeling of reacquaintance with some of the things of your youth. Mm. I think in the series as a whole, it does get a bit like, which gamma being is it this month? Right. And... That's maybe part of the course. One of the things I was also wondering is if, like, any of Hulk's kids are going to turn up later on, because there's so much stuff about daddy issues in this comic. Yeah. And it's it's almost like this this slightly mean, excessive Hulk who exists now. Mm. It's almost like he's like a self-fathering machine. Like the Hulk is his right. mean dad who looks after him, mm. and he says, you know, like, I love you, kid. I'm always going to have your back. <laughs> yeah. And there's. Oh, because he does that where um, someone hurts Banner and he yeah. says, if you hurt Banner, then I hurt you. Do you know, that might even actually be in it's a Sasquatch in... moment. Yeah. But uh, as I rummage... That's it. Sasquatch um, rips his throat out. Right. Banner's like, what are you doing? What's going on here? Uh, and... There we go. There we go. I'd rather talk to the real you. Yeah. And then he slits his throat. Yeah, and then he says, when you hurt Banner, I take it personal. When he turns and felt, yeah. yeah. And I guess the other thing, and it's, it comes into this notion of these stories being ongoing and ongoing, there's a really nice moment where the, the journalist who's chasing Banner, who's an African-American woman, mm. she says, I just want your power. Like, I want, I want to be entitled to rage and smash stuff. Yeah. And then the worst thing that ever happens to me is someone tries to send me to another planet. Or, yeah. you know, like, no one ever... I don't really have consequences for my anger, yeah. even when I turn into a big green beast and, and smash things and pull people's arms off. Yeah. And I guess the other side of those ongoing stories and the fact that that can feel quite comforting is who gets to tell them and who's in them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was thinking was obviously super good that Ewing sort of like hangs a lampshade on that by having that character say those yeah. things. But I was still also like, when is a black woman going to write the Hulk? And how would it be different yeah. if uh, an African-American woman had written that interaction? Yeah, because there's a thing on Twitter recently when they announced who the writers of the next slew of Marvel right. comics were going to be. And it was, uh, I think it was one woman and 18 L. Ewings or something. Right. So, yeah. So there is that. So it's a bigger topic maybe than Alpha Podfight can cover. But where experience, and who should write people's experience. Yeah. Whether it should be Al Ewing, who's a very nice English gentleman. 
uh, or whether a black woman should be able to write her own character in a superhero comic. What's happened with Alpha Flight fanfic? Have you dipped into that world? It has tried to dip into me. <laughs> wow. I don't know how if they still listen or not. But uh, after me and my friend Kate did an issue about Gilded Lily, yep. Uh, and after we did that, I was contacted by someone who wanted to direct me towards the adults-only deviant art Gilded Lily section. Right. Uh, uh, and he asked Kate if she had seen it, and I said, Kate, you don't want to. You don't. It's not right. Kate was like. Uh, Walter Langowski is a lot like Robert Redford I was like he is a lot like Robert Redford and then I was like so you definitely don't want to go and find out what they've got Aurora and Gilda Lily doing so there's that side Um, obviously there's Alpha Flight uh, Special 1987 you're not aware of this I suppose this is the first so me and my friend Bobsy um, did an issue about the uh, fan created comic Alpha Flight Special 1987 which is a bootleg comic that was doing the rounds uh, in, and it was created by who we assume are two super patriotic Canadian people. We did this episode, but I'd written it. So we'd written it together and then done it as if it was a real thing. I think this is the first time I've said it out loud on the podcast. I've said it out loud elsewhere because... Right, hence the confessional that's happening yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because after I did, we really enjoyed doing it. We really enjoyed like making up... Because it's much about making up the characters who had written this like super patriotic Canadian Alpha Flight mini comic yeah um, and and I did it as part of an art show as well so like about what's true and what's not and so the actual art I, I put I did some pictures so yeah. I pretended that I had redrawn pictures from this comic and I'd actually just drawn the comic and then redraw abstracted my own comic nice so um, but then I started um, a listener got in contact and was like that's a crazy comic where can I find that I was like I don't there's a uh, tendency at the moment for disruptors to come in and shake up people's idea of what reality is right and on one hand I find that really interesting and on the other it's how you get things like Trump and it's how you get things right. like Boris Johnson he's going to be Prime Minister regardless of who he is because nobody believes yeah the, the, the criteria for deciding what's truth and what's nonsense have been muddied by like crazy art experiments and and things like that right. so I got a bit funny about I what I'd done yeah uh, even though we just enjoyed doing it absolutely so. and even though the number of people who would have cared yeah that about this Alpha Flight comic is slim so well you say that but the uh, the philosopher Harry Frankfurt wrote this really really good book called On Bullshit a few years ago mm. and he's sort of very anticipating the US election of 2016 yeah and he talks about the idea that um, bullshitters are not liars uh, because they no longer care about the distinction between truth and a lie yeah. like a lie a liar knows they're not telling the truth yeah and then he talks about it uh, he sort of follows through on that uh, metaphor of like nutrition and then passing waste out of your body and he talks about the idea of having like sort of nutritious information experiences so he says bullshit is like (laughs) non-nutritious right but if you talk about it being nutritious that means you know like a novel can be nutritious Mm. even though it's not strictly fact reading Immortal Hulk could be like a nutritious information experience because it lets you reflect on all these like big feelsy stuff and the the sort of the the feelings that we keep pressed down because they're a bit monstrous and stuff Mm. like that so I think the the difference might be that like the Alpha Flight 1987 special sounds yeah. like it was nutritious. Maybe. In that sense. I think it was nutritious if if you knew what... So the, the, the small... The people who wrote it were 
previous guests and then some people who had a vested interest in Alpha Flight. Yep. Uh, and they were in the know when it came out. And so it was nutritious to them. And yep. then also the actual comic itself, there's a PDF floating about. Um, it was it was like fan service. So right. it was like, this is the first ever page of Alpha Flight. And this is the famous page from Alpha Flight. And these are the different characters. And isn't it interesting what these two people are saying? Right. And, and so if you're a fan of Alpha Flight and you knew what would happen, then yeah. you'd get something from it. But at the same time, we were just we were just like taking the piss a bit, yeah. and uh, and also the writers. There's even now there's a secret history of the people who wrote it that I've forgotten because I never wrote it down anywhere. Right. But it was a really like strong point of nice. creating this comic was who it was that had written it, and um, uh, yeah. But the, the comic ended with uh, Shaman invoking Crowley and magic <laughs> and destroying the universe. Right. Um, because that was the, the people who were writing it. Yep. That was their thing, and they were using Alpha Flight as a as a right, way to subvert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so if you didn't know all that, if you don't know the secrets coming into it, it was it was bullshit. Right. But if you did know the secrets coming into it, then it might be nutritious. That was the point I was okay. trying to get to. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I just I don't think you should be too harsh on yourself for hoaxing the world. I don't stay up at night worrying about because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know how many people have listened to it mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm not worried that they're going to go and make a massive dent in the, the world's consciousness but I didn't want to contribute to it I, 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 I understand I saw the Boris Johnson interview you've seen this thing today where they say what do you do in your spare time and he says oh I like to paint wine crates and make them look like <laughs> London buses and he says the other thing I'm really into is the Alpha Flight 1987 <laughs> special <laughs> <laughs> and he just looks at the camera with yeah. a kind of eerie gaze. Um, yeah, I did see that bit. It was chilling, especially when he referenced um, yeah Canada in such a strong way. I think he's got plans. Yeah, it's it, funny how Canada gets used as a kind of tool in in both the <laughs> comics and in politics. In that you know, like the Canada-style deal. The other thing that makes me laugh about the ultra-nationalists or the ultra-patriotic Canadian writers you've you've described is that often Canadian patriotism seems to be about a kind of quiet humility. Like there's a definition versus the U.S. where yeah. you know Canada likes to be like, no, no, we're the quiet, nice ones. It's again, I'm not an ex. I've not ever been to Canada, but there's. Uh, America gives us the sense of what American is brashness and patriotism and flags and eagles and guns and explosions. And Canada gives off the, um, we like pancakes, we like walking in the woods, right. we like forestry. And at the same time, you've still got massive problems with the right wing. Uh, and you've got all the same problems there yep. as America, maybe not the mass shooting side, but it's buried under this sort of nostalgia for a Canada that isn't there. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Or Canada of the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, we I watched Super Troopers two yesterday, oh, man. which <laughs> addresses I, similar topics. I have not made it to the sequel. I love the first one. I think that's a great I film. Seen any Super Troopers until, for some bizarre reason, right. I put on Super Troopers last night, and they go to Canada. Right. So uh, America annexes a part of Canada. Okay. And they uh, and so all the jokes at the expense of Canada. Um, but they're really dumb yeah. jokes. Uh, and um, why did I start talking about Super Troopers 2? Oh, because it's that's the, all the cliches are that same stuff. So what Canada sell, sells itself on, yeah. or what, te- what the joke is, yeah. um, rather than people in helmets beating up people in shopping centres. Right, okay. That, 
makes complete sense. Yeah. So, well, one of the things I found really weird was that as a kid, I always thought, you know, all this Department H stuff yeah. sort of amused me of like, oh, like Canada's going to have all the <laughs> evil secret programs. Yeah. But of course, because of that Canadian niceness and politeness and mm. humility that sometimes shades on diffidence, yeah. you know, actually, you know, there's a, a report came out a few weeks ago. I was out in Toronto for work. And we were talking, there was a, a report on um, mistreatment of indigenous women, yeah. women who disappeared, and um, then there'd been the, the idea that this could have been framed as a genocide, which is, mm. it would fit the UN definition of that. Mm -hmm. um, but then there was some political debate over that, and Trudeau didn't yeah. want to use that word when he presented the report in a press mm. conference. And that weirdly, because of this Canadian kind of like refusal to have very volatile public political conversations mm. that there's something of that vibe in the way yeah. that you know everything's always kept under the surface and yeah. the, the government agencies in Alpha Flight are often quite bad yeah they are and also um, the uh, Canadian government and the Canadian military in Marvel in the Marvel Universe is as powerful as the US military <laughs> wonderful whereas in real life they're Certainly not. Right, of course. But um, yeah, because there's the issue where uh, me and Sarah covered it uh, last year, where uh, Alpha Flight run a training exercise against the Canadian military. Right. To show and like Canada throwing tanks and like armored planes and helicopters, and they've got three thousand men on the ground, yeah. and it's just like that's they they wouldn't be able to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not right. The, the black budget is enormous in every Marvel country yeah. as well. Like, everyone can afford, like, an adamantium-lined cavern to yeah. experiment on super beings. And... Well, because I think Canada was... I think now they've written them so that Canada is responsible for Weapon X or the weapon right. programs. Because yep. Wolverine is famously that. Uh, and they in some Alpha Flight comics, depending on the writer, they suggest that James... Oh, what's his... Guardian was responsible. Yeah, yeah. James Hudson was responsible somehow for Wolverine Excellent. and was one of the scientists on, which he couldn't be because he was too busy creating a, a suit which was good for. I'm sure just on the side, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. A, a superpower geographical surveying suit is exactly yeah. what we need. But because they, uh, they are the people, uh, James and Heather, the people that bring Wolverine back from the brink. They yeah. find him savage in the wilds, uh, and so some writers suggest that James did it on purpose okay he took he took Heather out and yep. then left her with Wolverine tied to a bed because he knew what would happen somehow right I don't buy it I think he's just a bad husband but I'm with you yeah uh, the other thing about comics always amuses me is that moment in the 80s as a little kid when I super got into all this stuff is that there was always this kind of element of kind of like not exactly sleaziness or whatever but you know like um, the first comic my mother had bought me was a British Home Store Superheroes Annual mm. which was actually amazing it had like a really weird Silver Surfer story where some English warlocks poison him with like poisoned <laughs> tea so he hasn't got his powers right and then they accidentally summon the abomination and he reluctantly like he, he spends most of the thing sort of prone on a bed or wearing a dressing <laughs> gown and finally he's like I'm not going to fight the abomination so he yeah. kind of he soothes the abomination by touching his brain and right. uses the power cosmic to put him to sleep. Yeah. It was really weird. 
And then there was a, a Ms. Marvel, like now Captain Marvel, mm. which was actually super good and made me totally love her as a character because she gets mistaken for a baddie as a vision. Mm. Carol doesn't like becoming Miss Marvel and Miss Marvel doesn't like Carol. And yeah. I love the idea as like a six-year-old, yeah. like the superhero and the secret identity don't get on. So when I went back to nostalgically revisit that first run of Ms. Marvel, mm. thinking I, I loved that when I was six, yeah. I was like, this is like horrendously pervy <laughs> and degrading in every other issue except the one that my mum gave me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's, it's famous for I've not read it but because uh, it was Jim Shooter's involvement apparently right and that's lascivious. one of the reasons that gives Jim Shooter a bad name other than him being a tough boss right uh, yeah that's one of the, the reasons that he's got a bad rep yeah uh, yeah. And I suppose that comes back to the idea of stepping into these big long stories mm. and who's allowed to tell them and who's allowed to be in them. And I mean, like, we're literally, I think, probably almost exactly the same age as Al Ewing. Like, yeah, it's literally the much. late 30s white guy show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you, especially as a, as a dad and everything else, and yeah. thinking about where you'd like that world to go next and your take on it, I mean. Uh, which world, sorry? Uh, I mean, I guess that ongoing narrative of superheroics and everything that it is. Oh, it's. Uh, I don't know. I think it just sort of directs itself. And so conversations outside of what I want direct where comics go. Yeah. So uh, what I find interesting as a far is that I was reading my first copy of 2008 I got when I was nine in that uh, the lady from the Harlem Heroes, whose name escapes me entirely, stabbed someone through the back of the neck, like right. gratuitously. Mm-hmm. And I was nine, I read that. I was like, that's yeah. happened. That's well good. I'll go and show my friends. I would never show Bill that. Yeah. Uh, although I'm starting to sort of ease into it now. Like I'd like him to read 2000 AD. Yeah. But he's not interested because because he sees it as too grown up for him. Interesting. So like the the levels of where you can start reading comics has yeah. changed because because people are more protective okay. now and more I'm certainly are more aware of what Bill is reading than my mum was aware of what I was reading. Right. Um, and so I think that directs comics as well. So that's where you get something like Immortal Hulk, which is for grown-ups, where horrible things... Hulk gets his heart cut in half in front of him. Um, and at the same time, you've got Squirrel Girl, who exists ostensibly yeah, yeah. in the same universe, but she uh, her main thing is that she makes sure that all parties in the fight have a, like yeah, yeah. It, it ends equal. I adore that series. Yeah, as well, I have to say. And so that is like I'm like Bill, read this. He's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm good with that. It's, but it, yeah. he wouldn't. He sees that and he's like, I know that that isn't for me. Cool. That's interesting about self-selecting. Mm. It's one of the things I wonder about our generation as parents as well. Because you know, I remember being ten and eleven years old and watching Romero oh, movies, Robocop, Evil Dead. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's like. I guess the equivalent now is finding things on the internet, but in some ways that's hella more scary much because it's scarier. so much more explicit and what you could seek out as And a also, uh, I'm really aware of YouTube right. and, and ideas getting into mm-hmm. kids because like the, the algorithms of YouTube, however they work, so they read my watching history right, and then will try and feed me Jordan Peterson videos. Mm. It's like... right. If that's coming to me, yeah, yeah. that's going to everybody. Right, exactly. Um, and so if Bill had watched that and then came away, then it's it's much harder to sort of chase an idea out of somebody yeah. than it is to put it in there. Yeah. So YouTube, I'm re- that's the thing I'm most wary of, yeah. of them like getting into by accident. And it's also the sort of thing that superhero narratives can't um, 
can't counteract easily because it's about sort of systemic problems. Yeah. Like the idea that one heroic figure with special powers is able to right a systemic wrong mm -hmm. looks increasingly silly. Like, you know, the recurring yeah. joke about Batman that he should just invest in yeah. infrastructure and education. Yeah. Um, but it's really weird trying to find the right hero for our times. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why Squirrel Girl is good. Um, he re have you read Dungeon Fun? No, but it sounds like those are two great words to put together yeah. on any occasion. <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, it's a small press book, okay. but, um, and uh, it's about a character called Fun Mudlifter, who is a girl who lives in the moat of a castle, and she gets fed up of the uh, ogres who live in the castle dumping stuff into her moat. So she goes to complain, and then it's about the event, the adventure that she has on her way to complain to the queen. Oh, nice! And it's really hilariously funny. I'm super into that already. And um, yeah, it's and he's really into it. So like, I bought them for myself, mm -hmm. and then was like, well, you could have a look at this. Yeah. And now he, it's the only comic that he has sleeved in a special envelope with his name on this. Everything else is just like he could leave. Like he loves Jamie Smart. I don't. He must have. Yeah, yeah, Jamie of course. Smart. He does stuff for the Phoenix. And, yeah, yeah, Bunny versus Monkey and Lushkin. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Lushkin is Bill is we. It's hilarious. But then Bill came home from school. And was like, oh yeah, I did this picture at school, and it's of a cat doing a massive shit on the floor <laughs> <laughs> with the caption, um, "The sound of a bag of potatoes being emptied onto carpet," which is a direct quote. Right. And I was like, Bill, this is brilliant. What do your teacher think? She's like, she didn't really like it that That's much. Strangely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like media for kids. And Ma, they both just watch. And this is they're not normal in this respect. Because they both just watch Nickelodeon sitcoms all day. If okay. left to their own devices, yeah. they, Martha would watch craft videos. Right. So, uh, and Bill would watch Fortnite videos yeah. or Minecraft videos. But if they're not allowed on tablets, then they'll watch uh, Nickelodeon. And I don't know if you're aware of any Nickelodeon I'm, I'm teen probably sitcoms. behind the times on Nickelodeon You're missing teen out. I'm sure. Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes you're, you're well away. Okay. Because, uh, so what they watch, Henry Danger, which is about a, a teenager who becomes a sidekick of a superhero. Cool. And it's got some funny ideas about what is normal. Right. So uh, the superhero's only friends are teenagers. And he sort of bosses them about in a really creepy way. Mm, okay. Uh, and it's really like broy. Yeah. Like really super broy. And it gets, get, it gets worse as the characters get older. Right. Um, what else is there? The Thundermans, which is about teenage superheroes trying to keep this. And that is not too much weird underlying politics in it. Yeah. Um, the, my favourite one is Sam and Cat, which is a few years old now. But it's what launched Ariana Grande. Okay. So she plays this ditzy character called Cat. And her best friend Sam, they run a babysitting. <laughs> this is like no, absolutely it's, it's, it's out of the podcast. It's a good spin off. Yeah, yeah. They um, run a babysitting service, but Sam has a criminal record. Uh, she likes beating people up and eating raw meat. Not raw meat, but she's always on about meat. And it's got this really like mean streak. Okay. Like in one episode, they bust a, a rival babysitting company. <laughs> who on the side have been doing um, toddler climbing. So they, they'll take children from the parents as they will look after them. And then they like make them climb up walls in the basement. Nice. Um, Just for kicks or to... For money. Right. It's a gambling racket and they, huh. they, they play on the internet. Brilliant. Um, and, and then in one episode that I was watching it and was constantly saying to Bill, like, they're wrong. This is... This is factually wrong. Right. Because um, there's a drink, I can't remember the name of it, it was bright blue, 
and it's got like and it's got the uh, like ten times the government mandated amount of sugar in it. Right. And so a character comes along who's really mean and bans it. And how dare he ban this drink? And people should be allowed to do what they want. And how dare you try and moderate us? Right, the libertarian. And at the end of it, like this character realises the error of his ways and he'll stop trying to moderate people's behaviour. Amazing. And, the people, uh, and he gets there because they start bootlegging this drink in their, in their secret lab <laughs> and selling it on the black market. Yeah. Uh, and then when he finds it, he calls the police. But then they're like, how dare you try and police our black market over-sugared drink, which has provenly driven people insane. Right. We have, there's one character, there's one like, they, they sell it through a back window. And there's this one boy who keeps going through the window in different disguises <laughs> to get more of it. And right. they're like, he's literally hooked on drugs. But the moral isn't that you should take drugs away from people, well, it's that you should let them have it. Interesting. It's, yeah. Um, but other, other than that, Salmon Cat's really good. <laughs> nice. But it's like, again, though, like, it does come back to what we were saying. It's like the dark and the light woven together and yeah. the way these things are sort of vehicles for weird messages. Yeah. The thing I like that you said was about fun. And ultimately, I mean, that's the point of this kind of entertainment. Yeah. And I, one of the things I like a bit later on in Hulk is there's some visual references to Adventure Time which just really right. lifted my heart. That show, more than anything, like lifted my heart when it came out. It made me yeah. so happy. And I had massive, massive yeah, feelings. Yeah, I had the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, I went off it when it became like, once they'd sort of hinted at what the land of Ooh was, and they'd give it a backstory, and yeah. Ice King had a backstory, and it had less yeah. uh, less for me. But I, could, I loved it. The it, first few episodes of that, I was yeah. like... Everyone, have you watched this? So good for yeah. the soul. I think they it veered away at the penultimate phase, but they actually landed it quite successfully, like right. the last few episodes. But one of the things I was going to ask you particularly, because of making Petricor and stuff like that, you mm. obviously have this drive to make art and specifically yeah. to make comics. And is it a fun process? Um, it is sometimes. So what I stress, so especially in the type of comics that I make, which aren't trying they're more for me making them than they are for people reading them in some respects sure. uh, and the reason why I make them is because if you hit a certain when I hit a certain groove it's, and things come easily and like it, take, it can like be an uphill climbing the hill to where it's going to work can be hard right and then once you sort of hit the cusp then and things come really easily yeah um, then and that's the fun bit and cool. so Petricor made itself in that respect because I didn't know what to do so I started drawing over something and I was like that was fun I'll do that again and I'll do that again I'll do that again and then it took a while to like get to the next but I didn't know what to do with it so the actual writing of it was sort of fun sort of not because of what it was about but then when it actually came and so, with Found Forest Floor which uh, was before that that was really fun because I hit a bit of flow like right, that's quickly. a mistake but I, yeah and so and it was super intense and so when I talked to people who knew me when I was doing it they're like you didn't enjoy that you were constantly complaining and like there were times I fell asleep making it because I was like hitting it so hard yeah. that, and some of it was made while I was asleep like okay. I was just like my eyes were shut but I was still like that's opening them long enough to do but that was like that's what I'm trying to hit Right. making comics um, in terms of like fun for the reader I don't like Fan for a Story isn't a fun book to no, read no. but it's a good experience yeah Petricor has fun moments I hadn't realised 
how that it was as much humour as there was until all the reviews were like it was funny right yeah um, and then yeah so I'm, what I'm doing now is going to be sort of more narrative I don't I've said it, I don't want to mine tragedy for material right so whatever I do next is going to be yeah. fictional to a certain extent and but try and retain that sense of play yeah, yeah, for yeah. the reader as well as for me as a creator well, this is one of the other things that's been playing on my mind lately so I just went to see Late Night the new Mindy Kaling movie mm. with Emma Thompson it's about a late night um, talk show host who's lost her mojo mm. and Mindy Kaling's character comes in and sort of helps her get it back and the, the sort of message in that story is that she's lost her authenticity yeah. and instead of playing it safe she has to be more honest about who she is mm. and it takes on almost a confessional vibe when she yeah. talks to the audience and in some ways I really like that but the other thing the idea that authenticity has to be confession mm. you know I saw this Ursula Le Guin interview that's at the other end of the spectrum where yeah. she's like not interested in confession at all I'm interested in making things up Yeah. and I think there's a tension uh, attention now and there's so much desire for stuff to be authentic mm. um, it really it really worries me that like yeah. the only route through is just to like recount intimate feelings yeah. in your own persona yeah or to um, but there's a whole thing about autobiocomics and like they and I've made one but there's also that thing like people can get trapped in uh, and <laughs> I'll come back to this in a minute but they get trapped in the groove of that worked so that bit about this bad thing worked in the comic and people liked it so I'll do another bad thing but slightly worse right and slightly worse and, yeah. so, and then you get Chester Brown who's like writing whole books about having sex with prostitutes right and it's just like not a fun experience but that's his thing now mm-hmm. he's got to be more honest than is necessary all the time yeah and I was going to come back to um, <laughs> to Gary Newman because that's <laughs> so he thought that um, his success from Tube Boy Army and this, the first right. Gary Newman record yeah. was that he was doing depressing things okay so his music got gradually more and more Is depressing that right? that, uh, read it in like the sleeve notes for Pre- Pleasure Principle okay. and he's like I thought that people responding to the darkness in the music so I made it extra dark so like increasingly his albums became more distant more electronic uh, he was like in a trench coat talking about murder or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. and then but sales were going down and down and down and down and then it was, he got to a point where he's like this isn't fun for me anymore I'll start doing what I found which just happens to be industrial music or whatever yeah but now that he's having fun with it it's successful again that's interesting whereas was, what people responded to with like our friends electric wasn't that he was singing about robot prostitutes right. it was that it had a really good hook yeah 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 exactly although I, I did love my favourite Gary Newman anecdote which is one of those uh, totally um, like no one knows if it's really true or not but I think it's in, in Time Travel which is one of John Savage's book of music journalism yeah. and someone says oh it wasn't a pop star act like even when he was someone who knew him when he was a kid installing air conditioners <laughs> were like he was already pretending to yeah. be an android then <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of rocking up to fit an air conditioner unit like yeah. in full. <laughs> in the boilers in his baseball yeah, paint exactly. silver, yeah. Um, but yeah, but even, you know, you falling asleep making the comic, mm. again, it keeps coming back to the idea of comics as a way of getting at that shadow world or that mirror world. Um, do you feel like there's a difference between like daylight goes to work, Gareth, and then, yeah? Yeah. yeah. So there's the Gareth that goes to work and... Well, because there's that with everybody, isn't there? So every interaction you have with a different person, you cater to that person. And some people do it less because they're like they're always telling the truth. They're like, you're a horrible person. You should cater yourself for a Filter, little bit yeah. more. Um, and so there's... Like, even with my kids, there's fun dad. Right. And then there's 
boring dad mm -hmm. and there's telling you off dad right there's all these so uh, but in terms of like more broadly there's work gareth there's also work when talking to management gareth yeah who's very different and there's been a few times when people haven't known that i've got that and have seen it and have gone that was weird to watch and i uh, and then there's like lunchtime gareth which is go to the park and just like start smashing paint pens in paper yeah uh, and then like and then there's scanner gareth which is very nervous right who's going to walk up and see me scanning all these like weird paintings oh. um, for a second i was thinking of cronenberg scanners <laughs> and i was really worried <laughs> just <laughs> so, like, starting to get a nosebleed to be honest um, um yeah but yeah and then there's like post 11 o'clock gareth who's just like super tired yeah and doesn't want to draw and sometimes and doesn't draw or yeah. just goes full out and then so yeah, yeah there yeah. is that and you must have that as well oh of course like there's always filters and sometimes you don't even know you've got them and then someone else watches you and yeah. says you went into this other mode yeah like i have to do a lot of facilitating workshops in my job and someone once said to me you didn't go full presenter map then <laughs> but i could see it bubbling up yeah and in some ways you're so busy like in the interaction that you're in mm. you don't notice that you've kind of all these attributes have unfurled and again like with this comic it, it managed to turn a character who I'm not super interested in frankly mm. like I've never been a fan of the Incredible Hulk or anything but because yeah. there have been all these different Hulks mm. they play it almost as being more like Crazy Jane from the Doom Patrol yeah. as being like different versions of that Cretan character come out depending on what's needed yeah um, and I, I know one has to be careful about the genuine diagnosis of multiple personality disorder, which is something else again. Yeah. But that idea that we have different selves that shuffle their way to the fore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's like one of the themes of the book, isn't it? So even when Hulk thinks he's talking to Satsquatch, he's talking to someone else. Yeah. And Walter doesn't know who he is. Yeah. And uh, I suppose in that sense the only character that does know themselves is the reporter because she knows yeah. who she's aware of who she's got to be in yeah. and where she comes and actually referring straight back to this yeah. is when she gets what she wants and Banner's sat next to her yeah. and she can't react right? and she's unprepared for it because suddenly like those the person that she's been presenting yeah. and who is like the hard-nosed reporter versus who she wants to be can't Right. Merge. Yes, and there's so many flashbacks in her story that it's like she's at once the hard-nosed reporter who's on a mission mm. to the extent that she doesn't quite want to go with Walter on the gamma flight thing because she doesn't know if she can be objective. Yeah. But then she's also all the time this frightened little girl in flashback and this woman whose dark desire is actually, I want to be able to smash stuff yeah. and indulge my rage. Mm. The other person, actually weirdly, I think maybe is Puck who is presented here, I really like it, as just a guy who just wants to live an interesting life, yeah. like a proper adventurer. Yeah. And has just been through so much weird stuff of, yeah, I sat on the throne of hell for a bit, yeah. I got off. <laughs> and what's what's good about that is that that is who Puck was intended to be mm -hmm. and who was lost. Right. Oh, So Byrne intended him and he never gave him a backstory. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, and Puck would know stuff and just assume that other people would know stuff that he knew. Yeah because he'd done it and then like him and Wolverine met and it's like oh yeah remember that time we saw each other on that secret mission oh that was you oh yeah yeah and there's all that secret stuff and yeah. so that's who Byrne intended him to be nice but other writers didn't get it yeah and fluffed him basically right. Puck when Byrne writes him is a 
brilliant character, everyone's favourite Alpha. Right. Puck, when everyone else writes him, is just rubbish. Okay. It's, yeah. I feel lucky then that I've just experienced this bookend of, as a kid, <laughs> I was like, this guy's awesome. Yeah. And then coming back now, uh, and he's that again, spirit. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, in the Captain Marvel, and they sort of approach yep. getting him back there. So he's a character with his own agency. But yeah. uh, certainly during Alpha Flight, he was he was lost as a. Right. They didn't get. And also Mantlo, uh, famously for Alpha Flight fans, ruined him. So okay. he wasn't a dwarf because he was born with dwarfism and brought him up with it. He was a dwarf because, as an adventurer, he absorbed an evil spirit which was keeping right. him short. He got magically squished. Yeah. That's a bit like... It's a bit rubbish, yeah. Um, yeah, but I just... I guess it's that thing, isn't it, always, of preserving the mystery and not needing too much backstory. And that's what people liked about Wolverine. Yeah. And that's why uh, people are constantly giving Wolverine new backstories to try and give him another mystery. Yeah. Um... Right, where are we up to now? We are up to one hour and 20 minutes. I think it's probably a good probably time, a good time to, to talk. To and I might up. go back. I said uh, yeah, yeah. before we started this that we uh, I don't edit, mm-hmm. but I might edit out the section about Sam and Cat. <laughs> uh, oh, really? I think it Poor might be a bit too off topic. I might put uh, in as a special... See how you feel. Yeah, yeah. I follow you, Lee. But thank you yeah. so much for your time. I've, I've really, really no, enjoyed chatting you. with you. And like I said, I, I was super excited because I could sort of feel Hulk and Petrichor as two sides <laughs> of the same raging coin. Um, yeah, I... I think the reason that I read superhero comics is that they are distant from my artistic life they're not although I do comics they're not part they're not part and parcel so uh, it's interesting that you've made that link to be honest uh, and I will make a comic discussing that good stay away from gamma <laughs> <laughs> it's all around us isn't it um, do you have anything to plug no, do you know, I'm just a wonderful, happy-go-lucky soul. Um, I sometimes do comics-related things at my site, which is called mechanicaldolphin.com, but it tends to be more about using drawing to help people solve a problem at work and things like that. Like, I can't draw anything representational to save my life, so it's more like it doesn't matter how bad you are, we can sketch our way to some kind of solution. Good. And that's my part of the world. Mechanicaldolphin.com. That's is it mechanical-dolphin or just All one word? word. Mechanicaldolphin. Excellent. Right. And what have I got to plug? So Petricor is still out. Good comics. It's really good. I'm not just saying that because he's here and starting to turn green. It's a really, really fabulous comic. Thanks. Uh, I also have an art show next week uh, from the 4th to the 8th of July. I'm part of the Youngblood Initiative Summer Showcase. This year we're doing the Infinite Wheel of Time and I've done 16 process-based drawings, sort of drawings, sort of paintings, sort of somewhere in between. Um, private views on the 4th of July performance evening is on the 6th of July and lectures are taking place on Sunday lunchtime and it is in 6 Queens Parade Warm Lane NW something that's good enough good enough for Google Maps yeah yeah. Yeah, Warm Lane Uh, and if if you follow me on social media at Gerthink then I'm I'm trying to get the word out so that it'll be posted about it there. I have to say the Young Blood Initiative does sound like a sinister Canadian scheme to make <laughs> superhero abstract artists. It's um, it's just a weird, fun group of people who have nothing to do with each other outside of once a year. Just like the beginning of Alpha Flight. Yeah, we get given a brief and then all do entirely different things and then put them in one place for a short amount of time. And then, yeah, it's You'll good. all be there when Guardian what, explodes. I usually know what everyone else is doing. But um, I don't this time because I haven't met up with everybody. But uh, yeah, 
the um, last last time the theme was like what is real or what isn't right and one of the artists made remote controlled houses so they were just like these little AI houses which just sort of moved Amazing. around the ga- gallery space um, and somebody gave a talk about Alexis and somebody did uh, Mire did a perform- performance dance about like the sea okay uh, it was really good and a trumpet player with us that's good that sounds brilliant give us the address one more time Warm Lane 6 Queens Parade Warm Lane NW something 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 nicely done yeah you could work on Blue Peter with that kind of (laughs) address feel this is Podcast Gareth whose laugh is slightly more pronounced than non-Podcast Gareth like everybody everybody's got a podcast laugh and seasoned podcasters see it and also another thing about podcasts is that you learn what um looks like yeah. on a on a squirrel nice it's like a little round thing when you say you never edit you cowboy oh no because I'm <laughs> sick of seeing the word um uh, yeah anyway thanks for coming Matt Thank and you. thanks for talking about Immortal Hulk and Nickelodeon cartoons and all sorts of other stuff we've covered a lot of ground not bad uh, hopefully you have enjoyed listening to this and you will join me again on another episode of Alpha Podflight. Thank you very much and goodbye.